for his life. Somehow stays in bounds. Jake Duffy inside the 10-yard line. How did he do that? High snap. Pressure up the middle. Downfield for Wesley. And Wesley holds it in off the tip. Concentration by the junior from Las Vegas. Play action. Duffy with time. Intercepted. Keith Washington is going to run it all the way back. Kyler Murray runs it. He's got to get out of bounds. Murray still moving. Wow. Look at the speed. Kyler Murray touchdown. Oh, you. 67 yards. Murray option. Pitch. Sermon. Touchdown, Oklahoma. What a comeback. Cameron Dicker from 40 yards away for University of Texas Red River immortality. Earthquake. He hit it. Purdy saw the pressure coming, felt it, got out of the pocket, and touchdown. Butler high points it beautifully. Looking downfield, throws a dart. Snaps it anyway. Greer lobs it in the air. Oh! What a catch, Gary Jennings. Touchdown, West Virginia. Wow. What a throw. Duffy throw it against his body. It's tipped. It's caught for a touchdown. Makes the grab there. Two-point conversion for the tie. Seth Collins going to throw it, and it's intercepted in the end zone. Robert Barnes bringing it down the sideline. Robert Barnes picking up his blockers. Robert Barnes for two the other way. Rushing three. Cornelius steps and fires. Has a man. It's caught. It's Tylen Wallace indeed for the touchdown. Now the game wouldn't be over. Oklahoma still have plenty of time. Two timeouts in a minute three left. Here's Murray, the worst nightmare for Tony Gibson's defense. Murray gets a nice block downfield from C.D. Lamb and scores. And a man running free. It's Jennings again. It looks like an instant replay. Another long touchdown for Gary Jennings. Greer falls up in the air and now loose on the ground. And Oklahoma has it. Curtis Bolton taking off for the end zone. Second defensive score of the night for inching toward the line. They bring pressure up the middle. It was blocked. And it's Calcaterra with the Oklahoma touchdown and the lead. The Big 12 championship for Oklahoma for the fourth year in a row. Howdy. How are you? I am a cowboy Chappie, and you all know my Tonto, Bip. Bip, how are you? I'm doing good, partner. Now that we've had an opportunity to mosey on through the Big 12 traditions, I'm looking forward to get through to our conference review for the uh, Big 12. Yes, sir. I mean, it's nice to go down the history road, but it's also better to take a look back at what happened in 2018 because the Big 12, if nothing else, was one of the more entertaining conferences in college football among the Power 5 teams. Or Absolutely. Absolutely. 
All right, well, let's do it. Let's crack open this bag and start munching on a bowl full of chips, your college football podcast that covers you coast to coast, top to bottom, and everything in between. Here at BFC, we bring football closer. Bip, things are looking better and better for us, and we have the fans to thank for that. And we know that college football is a healthy habit and part of your diet, so we encourage you to get more of what you crave. But we want this to be a give-and-take relationship. We'll always bring you the content you want, and all we ask in return is that you share with friends, family, coworkers, acquaintances, basically anyone you know who enjoys the game, even half of what we all do. All you got to do is hit the share button on your device, and you can send it via text or email, or even just mentioning us by mouth or by social media. That helps too. So please help be a part of the good that is growing in our world. It's quick, it's easy, and of course, Bip and I, we thank you. So here on A Bowl Full of Chips, we love college football, we love to laugh, and we love Twitter. And I'm going to put love in air quotes there because that's a, a strong <laughs> word. Um, you know, I, I kind of think of the the Del Griffin line, uh, like Twitter, love your wife. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm relatively new to Twitter, having started up my account during the bowl season this year. So I've always been kind of highly skeptical of Twitter before I joined as to how often I'd use it. Um, but I'm kind of blown away i can't believe how much uh more convenient of a news source it is compared to other outlets and mm-hmm. you know it's really nice to have a a place to where you can have a quick back and forth with uh those across the country about college football about anything really um so you know th- there's the times to where it becomes a little bit uh of a pain depending on what kind of a back and forth you have with someone but you know it's always uh nice to see the different opinions out there the the like opinions the the differing opinions and um just having that outlet available at at the the tips of your fingers yeah and and i agree i for the longest time was somebody who's very skeptical of social media and saw it more as a negative platform for people to complain when nobody really wants to hear it but once getting into it you know being a, a football writer and a, a football enthusiast. And once we started kicking around this idea and I, and I set up the account about a year ago, exactly what you said there, Bip, it's, it's really nice to be able to find communities of people who share your enthusiasm for college football, because you can only talk about it so much to your friends and family. And even the ones who you're close to, there's not that same level of Uh, passion or fanhood that maybe others might share. And it's also nice, like you said, as a a news resource, because, you know, being here in Big Ten country, it's nice to get a feel and a flavor firsthand from what fans from the ACC or the Pac-12 or the Big 12 from East Coast to West Coast, from North to South, what their thoughts are, what their experiences are. And also, like you said, the news that's coming out, because to go through and, and click on every team's page is very cumbersome and nobody really has the time but when you can get this feed where people are are sending out the information in real time as it happens it, it really helps us in in what we're doing here at bowl full of chips so um and i i liken it bit to kind of like a buffet you know there's there's much more of what you enjoy than what you don't so yeah there's going to be those nasty dishes that people are going to want to put out in front of you, but you just keep walking on by and and you go to the, the fried chicken and the mashed potatoes and gravy and the corn. And then of course the soft serve ice cream and, and anything you want. It's kind of like being back in the college dorms at CMU. 
Yeah, and when you do partake in what you think is going to be something enjoyable, you just hope that it doesn't leave you uh, regretting that decision later on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, much like a buffet. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So uh, yeah, so we're we're talking up Twitter. We we encourage you to give us a follow on Twitter. I am at champion underscore lit, and I am at bfc bip. So we'll give you more than just what we do here on this podcast. We like to retweet whenever we see good information that other college football followers should know. We also like to send off our opinions, our resources. If you check it out, I've been putting out some top lists for players returning next year, some of my thoughts on stadiums and and the best college football atmospheres with the conferences that we've done. So um, recently put out one of stadiums of the Big 12, so give that a look by following us. You also can email us at bowlfullofchips at gmail.com. So if you're not into the Twitter scene, I get it. If, if email is still a great mode of communication for you and others you want to get in touch with, be sure to send us an email along with, with any thoughts you have. And we do want to give one quick Twitter shout-out this week, and that is to a Big 12 writer. His name is Pete Mundo. And very simple Twitter handle, he is at Pete Mundo, uh, M-U-N-D-O. <laughs> he's a radio host that covers the Big 12, uh, was out in New York, but now he's out in the Heartland, and he's the owner of a website devoted to schools in the Big 12 called heartlandcollegesports.com. That Twitter handle is at Heartland underscore cs so give them a look give pete a shout out give him a follow if you if you like his work so uh thanks for what you do pete all right let's get the rundown here bip we've got big 12 review today and we don't want to waste any more time we want to get right into the heart of the 10 teams from texas to oklahoma to kansas all the way over to west virginia so we're going to give you a rundown of the teams and where they parked in the standings this year some of the happy endings and the what the heck finishes the most outstanding players, as well as players that had some sheen, though it may have been covered by the luster of others, and some of the most entertaining games. Finally, then, our thoughts and some hints at what to expect in 2019 in the Big 12. So let's get right to it, Bip. Um, The records. So going from top to bottom, we had the college football playoff participant Oklahoma Sooners, who finished at 12-2 overall. 8-1 in the conference. They were your Big 12 champions, beating the Texas Longhorns in the Big 12 championship. They also, of course, had the Heisman Trophy winning Kyler Murray. We'll get more into that in a minute. In second place was the number nine finishing Texas Longhorns, who finished the year strong with a convincing win over Georgia. They finished 10-4, which was 7-2 in conference, and, of course, uh, runners-up to the Sooners in the Big 12 championship. Third place was Iowa State, who finished 8-5, 6-3 in the conference. The West Virginia Mountaineers were ranked, even though they were behind the Cyclones in the standings. They finished 8-4, 6-3 overall in the Big 12 and finished 20th in the country. Yeah, and that 6-3 in the in the conference, they, they really got um, beat up by Iowa State as Will Greer only threw for 100 yards in that game. But outside of that, they lose by four to Oklahoma State in their second-to-last game. They lose by only three points to Oklahoma. So this was a team that was damn close of not only making the Big 12 championship game, but having uh, potentially a lot higher aspirations. That bowl game against Syracuse wasn't close, but uh, of course, Will Greer, Will Greer didn't play in that game. So I was kind of surprised at how they finished the season um, as I was thinking that they were one of the two best teams coming out of the Big 12. Um, but sure. uh, a, a season of what could have been potentially for the the Mountaineers. Right. And 
Uh, of course, Dana Holgerson moving on from there, Neil Brown coming in. So it'll be interesting to see if he picks up where they left off and maybe even transcends them into that hierarchy of Big 12. TCU mm-hmm. came in at number five in the standings at seven and six overall, four and five in the conference. Baylor was also seven and six, four and five in the conference. Behind them, Kansas State, five and seven in Bill Snyder, what turned out to be Bill Snyder's last season as coach there in Manhattan. They were three and six in the Big 12. Texas Tech, five and seven, three and six in the Big 12. And for fans of Cliff Kingsbury, they had to. Uh, salute him goodbye as he was uh, shown the door in Lubbock, or out of Lubbock, I should say. Oklahoma State finished seven and six overall, but only three and six in the conference. And then, and that's another that's another team, Chappie, that uh, could have had a much different narrative to their their season. Oh yeah, they start off their their non conference with a, a nice win against Boise State, but then, as you mentioned, only going three and six in the Big Twelve. Four of their losses this year were by one score, and they only lost by one point to Oklahoma, which. Uh, incidentally, that was because they went for two on their last score to try to put away the Sooners and failed in that one. So it could have been a, a much um, better season for the Cowboys and uh, a team that I thought was a lot better than their uh, seven and six overall record reflected. Oh, yeah. And and they were a team that played well when they were supposed to play or I, I'm sorry, played uh, well when they weren't expected to play well, but then uh, fell short in games that they were expected to do more. Losses at home to Texas Tech, who Oklahoma State I thought was a better team than the Red Raiders. Um, They lost to Iowa State by six. They lost at Kansas State, which was not a game they really should have lost. Thumped in that one. Yeah, they did, 31-12. to They lost at Baylor, 35-31, and no disrespect to Baylor, but Oklahoma State definitely was the better team in that one. That uh, very near miss against um, Oklahoma in the in Bedlam, which we'll talk more about uh, coming up later. And then, of course, the loss to TCU in the final weekend of the regular season by seven points. So, yeah, that, was a, that could have been a very different story for the season of the, the pokes there. And, and they, they knock off uh, Missouri in their bowl game. And Missouri, by all accounts, one of the better all-around teams in the country this year. So they cap off their season with a nice win and a lot of what could have been and what should have been in the regular season. Yeah. And probably my favorite part of the Oklahoma State season was Mike Gundy's mini rant on Twitter. Um, I think it followed <laughs> one of the losses. And some some reporter asked him, hey, have you seen what's been said about you or about this team? And Gundy says, no. And he stops him and says, wait, where did it come from? And the reporter says, Twitter. And Gundy proceeds to say, oh, here's what I think of Twitter. <laughs> and uh, we go on for about 30 seconds making the beloved fart noise with his mouth uh, in regards to Twitter. <laughs> so Yeah, never short on sound bites, that Mike Gundy. That's right, yeah. <laughs> he's not still 40, is he? I know he's a man, but he's <laughs> he's got to be a little older than 40, right? <laughs> his mullet's getting up there in age i know that <laughs> that's true but never short of a, a good time though <laughs> right right and then uh rounding up the big 12 which seems to be customary in this decade anyway is the kansas jayhawks finished three and nine overall one and eight in the conference so that's how they finished out let's take a look closer at some of the players bit that um were or i'm sorry I'm getting ahead of myself here. Let's 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 talk surprises and let's talk disappointments. We'll start off with you. Who was your Big 12 team that was a pleasant surprise and and, and kind of raised your eyebrows this year with their play? 
Well, Chappie, I'm going to go uh, down to Ames, Iowa, and talk about the Iowa State Cyclones. Now, this was a team that kind of had the tale of two seasons. That was the before Purdy and after Brock Purdy. So the Cyclones started off the season one and three with losses to Iowa, Oklahoma, and TCU. Now, insert freshman Brock Purdy, Iowa State then um, snaps off seven of eight, including wins over Oklahoma State, West Virginia, and Baylor. They finished the season losing to number 13, Washington State, uh, in their bowl game, but it was only by two points, so a really nice showing by the Cyclones in the bowl. Brock Purdy was really someone who impressed me this year. As I mentioned, seven and two as a starter, um, passed for uh, 22 or 2,250 yards, uh, completed 66.4% of his passes. Now, here are the stats that kind of jump out at me. He was third in the country in yards per attempt, trailing only Kyler Murley and uh, Tua Tungavailoa, sixth in the country in quarterback rating, and 15th in completion percentage. Um, also added 308 yards on the ground and five rushing touchdowns. So really uh, the cog that, that made the Cyclones go um, but not to be outdone, David Montgomery and Hakeem Butler had uh, a couple heck of a season for each of them. Hakeem Butler, in in particular, averaged 22 yards per catch and led the team with over 1,300 yards and nine touchdowns. He was just a nightmare matchup for anyone that he played against. Yeah, that dude, and, that dude was a freak. I mean, <laughs> good luck right. if you're a cornerback trying to cover uh, big Hakeem on the outside. Yeah, it makes me interested to see how Purdy's going to perform this year with uh, Butler moving on to the NFL. Right Now, despite those three, Iowa State still really struggled overall on offense as they ranked 83rd in the country in points per game, 96th in yards per game. It was really this defense that kept the Cyclones in most of their games this year. Yeah. As they were, them and TCU were probably the best uh, defenses in the entire conference. Um Strong play from Ray Lima, Jaquan Bailey, and even uh, freshman uh, linebacker Mike Rose um, really rose to the occasion and came on big for the Cyclones. So uh, they came away with uh, surprising me the most. Mm-hmm. Um, a- any team under Matt Campbell has gotten uh, gets my attention somewhat as a, uh, he's a heck of a coach. But I, I especially after their one and three start, I had no thought that they would finish with eight wins at the uh, end of the season. Um, and, uh, really a, a job well done now down there in Ames. Yeah. And I really like Matt Campbell as well. He's a guy who I think would be cool to, uh, to go out and grab a drink with. He just seems like a really down to earth guy and maybe too much so because he's got to be he's got to be the coach that has the dirtiest hat. I mean, he looks like one of those guys that's like your brother's friend that is hanging out and uh, he's got chew in his bottom lip and he's got the, the really curled brim of his hat. It's a little bit dirty and dusted up. Um, looks like somebody who never takes it off. So, uh, but he knows what he's doing. And you, you touched on something that's really important and that's the defensive play of Iowa state. So, this is a conference that is known for having offensive stats through the roof. And Matt Campbell is kind of revolutionizing what's going on in, in Big 12 defenses. He He's kind of taken a page out of uh, other defensive coordinators who will drop eight and they'll, they'll play a three-man rush because with all these pass-happy offenses, it doesn't make as much sense to play a four-man front or to to have seven in the box. So why not bring in extra defenders in the secondary to kind of blanket and cover and keep everything in front? And, and Campbell and his defense and Jim Haycock, the defensive coordinator, did an outstanding job this year as the Cyclones finished uh, in the top 40 in four of the major defensive categories. Yeah, A stat that stood out to me 
was where they finished rushing. Now, David Montgomery is a great running back. He had a little bit of injury problems uh, scattered in the first part of the season, but they were 112th in final rush offense, uh, which is really alarming. Now, I think some of that may be skewed because of the fact that they were 81st in sacks allowed. And because the NCAA still counts quarterback sacks into your rush totals, which you and I both agree that Mm -hmm. that's kind of ridiculous. um, You know, maybe that's a, a, a reason why that rush number was so low in terms of overall ranking but um yeah their offense had some issues this year and they lose Hakeem Butler next year and your man crush Brock Purdy has is a very good talent (laughs) um but yeah it'll be very very interesting to see how you know who's going to step up on the outside and is it the receivers who are making Purdy look good this year because Butler did a great job of that or is Brock Purdy really that sensation that a lot of uh analysts and that a lot of people who watch the film believe he is yeah he's definitely gonna have his hands full next year without butler or montgomery right so but that's that's what makes a champion i suppose i'm gonna go right i'm gonna go down to waco texas and say that or i'm sorry i'm not gonna go to waco texas i'm gonna go and i'm gonna (laughs) i'm gonna think like a priest here bip and i'm gonna go outside the box um okay i'm gonna go with kansas now hear me out Kansas, <laughs> Kansas. I know people right now are are maybe reaching to turn the podcast off and say, "Oh, these guys have no idea what they're talking about." Kansas won three games this year, but let's take a look at what they did. Okay, they ended a forty-six game road losing streak. They ended a twelve-game losing streak against FBS opponents. Unfortunately, both came against our Central Michigan Chippewas. Um, they they <laughs> snapped a ten-game ten-game losing streak in conference against TCU this year. Um, they won back-to-back games against Central Michigan and Rutgers, which I know is kind of beating up on the sisters <laughs> of, of the poor. But they outscored these two teams eighty-six to twenty-one. And believe it or not, Central Michigan actually had one of the uh, they had a defense that was in the top half of college football this season, so it wasn't exactly against a slouch defensive crew. They lost to Kansas State by only four. They lost to Texas by only seven, and they hung in there really until the last uh, half of the fourth quarter on the road in Norman, Oklahoma. So this is a Kansas team that very well could have won five games this season, and obviously everybody was writing them off at the beginning of the year, and i Really felt bad for David Beatty. He was in a losing situation, but he did a a lot with what he had. And it wasn't just that they got lucky. They had Joe Deneen, their star linebacker, was the leader in tackles in the Big 12. Puka Williams, their freshman running back, was number two in rushing. They also had um, their defensive lineman, um, Damian Wise, had... uh, two categories where he was in the top 10, not to mention Hassan defense uh, at corner and uh, Bryce Tornadin was in the top five in interception. So these were, this was a team that had some talent, at least statistically. And of course, you know, their defense was on the field a lot. And so maybe that speaks to where those numbers come from, but I'm going to give the nod to Kansas. And I think the bigger surprise was landing less miles as their next head coach. And so I'm really interested to see in the next four years, where is this KU program going to be? Because they kind of peak once a decade. And we saw it with Glenn Mason in the 90s. We saw it with Mark Mangino in the early 2000s. So maybe toward the tail end of the 2010s, is it going to be less miles that gets this team back in possible contention in the Big 12? Because let's face it, the Big 12 is not exactly um, as top-heavy as some of those other conferences are. But 
Yeah, and I agree with you. They had some definite talent. Uh, Joe, Joe Deneen, as you mentioned, was a tackle machine this year, 142 total tackles. Puka Williams was really uh, one of the brighter spots within the Big 12. Um, curious to see what his status is for next year as Kansas yeah. is sure going to need him. Um, now, where where you, you lost me a little bit was, and you kind of explained this, but they start off losing this, losing to Nichols. Um, there are two wins, as you mentioned, Central Michigan and Rutgers. The those two teams combined for two wins on the on the season, and those were against Maine and Texas State. So, um, the fact that uh, Kansas comes away with three wins this year, uh, two of them being against two of the worst teams within uh, the F FBS. Mm-hmm. Um, I, they didn't really surprise me as to where they would finish, but I will agree with you that they do seem like they're a team that's potentially on the rise, especially with all that young talent that they have on their team. Yeah, and and I guess to to qualify my my status there, it was after they lost in overtime to Nichols, and Nichols finished 18th in the FCS rankings for right, whatever right. that's worth. After losing at home in their opener against an FCS team, I thought, okay, this team's not going to win a game. David Beatty might get fired after week one, but they, you know, they came back and and showed up yeah. against those two teams. Um, yeah, really, I know you and I, I know you and I thought that Central sure had a heck of a chance playing at home against Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, that that pick <laughs> of mine didn't really pan out, but I mean, you look at their scores. They really never got the doors blown off of them in in any game, and You're that's right, saying right. something in the Big Twelve when you know the four-minute offense for these teams is to run quick, no huddle, uh, throw the ball out in space and let your athletes get to to pay dirt. And none of these coaches, especially the offensive coaches, seem to take the, the foot off the gas pedal. So for them to lose by no more than 20 points this season was pretty remarkable in a conference full of offensive juggernauts. Right. Yeah. They finished 83rd and 80th in points per game, yards per game, respectively, which may seem like a, a bad couple of stats. But when you consider that um, just about every defense within the Big 12 finished outside of the top 40 in those two stats, that's really not uh, a bad job done by a Kansas squad that probably lacks uh, the, the most amount of talent um, compared to the rest of the conference. Yeah, so I'm going to segue now. You know, I talked about Kansas was my surprise because of how they started the season. I was surprised to see how they didn't really fold completely like it looked like they they had every excuse to do. And I'm going to say my biggest disappointment was the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Now, at the beginning of the season, I had pegged them to go 2-10. and 10. Um, Didn't really have much hope for them to compete in the Big 12. They played a somewhat of a challenging non-conference schedule with games against Houston and Ole Miss. But they started off 5-0. and Or I'm sorry, they started off 5-2, and which they were on track. They just had to win one more game to go to a bowl, and they lost their next five. They lost three of those uh, games by one score. They just couldn't seem to get over the hump. And with an offense like they had, I mean – after going five and two with a freshman quarterback who at the time I believe was number one in the nation in passing, Andrew Bowman, they had uh, Antoine Wesley who was chiseling himself a, a Bolitnikoff award type season. They had Nathan Vasher and they were actually starting to run the ball pretty well, which is something that has not really been seen under Cliff Kingsbury, but to drop those next five and lose out in a bowl game, especially dropping the finale in their uh, semi rivalry against the Baylor bears in the Jerry dome. Um, 
that was just something I think that was the undoing for Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, the final two games against Kansas State, Kansas State didn't make a bowl, uh, but still right. beat Texas Tech. And then, like I said, Baylor had to win that game to get to a bowl. And I think looking at the rosters, you may say that their talent level was about equal, but I think all things considered, Texas Tech had my pick in that game, and I was a little bit surprised to see Baylor come out on top. Good for the Bears, but uh, this was just a, a – a second half of disappointment for for me as somebody who always kind of wants to see the the Red Raiders emerge and and make a name for themselves in the Big 12. So I think it was a good hire for them to go and get Matt Wells from Utah State. And uh, you know, thanks for what you did, Cliff Kingsbury. But uh, they need somebody who's going to take them to that next level. Yeah, I would agree with you. Uh, like you, when they started off five and two, they only need to win one game to make a bowl they have games against kansas state and then at home or uh, against baylor you figure that they would have won at least one of those games now they're saving grace um in that five game losing streak they only lost by uh five against oklahoma they only lost by a touchdown against texas so they kept the games close yeah but that's just a complete folding especially when you consider that two of their five wins were against lamar and kansas um Really not uh, much that Cliff Kingsbury could have done, considering the fact that he was in a, a warm seat to enter the season. Uh, cooled off a little bit with how Bowman and and crew were playing through the first seven games, but not or kind of an easy an easy decision to make by the athletic department by the by the time uh, twenty eighteen um, the the dust had settled for the Red Raiders. Right, right. So, what about you? Who who uh, who fell out of the boat in your opinion from the Big Twelve? Well. I'm going to go with the Horn Frogs of TCU. Now, they start number 16 in the country. Um, they start off going 2 and 0 with their game against the Buckeyes being a, a pseudo home game at uh, Jerry World and lots of folks were waiting to see whether that would be the game that vaulted the Horn Frogs into the playoff picture or if um, Ohio State would bring them back down to reality. It was really a close game throughout the first three quarters. The Buckeyes kind of pull away at the end of, um, of that game, but it was a hard-fought game, and you figured that the Horn Frogs could have a lot of momentum coming out of that uh, that loss. But they then follow that up um, with a two and six run, and TCU barely finished six and six uh, to finish off the season. Um, and within that, two of their wins were against Southern and SMU. All other wins were by one score, including wins against Iowa State and Kansas State that were by a combined four points. Right. So not only did they barely scratch and claw their way to six wins after starting off number 16 in the country, they almost lost a few of those games that they won. And the crown on the uh, end of the season was they finished the their season off by beating Cal in the Cheez-It Bowl, and that should have stand for it. Jesus, that was a terrible bowl game to watch because yes, it was <laughs> TCU won by throwing for 28 yards, 28 yards passing. And that was on 21 passes. Yeah. So the two teams combined to throw for nine picks and Cal uh, Cal's offense only generated 264 yards of total offense. Just a, a complete uh, turnaround from the TCU offenses that we've seen uh, within the the past several years as they've been one of the teams that can just go out there and light it up. This year, they finished 107th in points per game on offense and 99th in the country in um, yards per game. Their defense was still uh, one of the staples that uh, 
Coach Patterson has been known to have. Mm-hmm. Um, but that offense just completely fell flat on its face, and they seemed to just lose their way after that loss um, in uh, in Dallas against uh, the Buckeyes. Yeah, so in in eight of the top or most significant offensive statistical categories, TCU is 92nd or worst out of 130 in five of those eight categories. So that's just astounding. I mean, Sonny Cumbie has established himself as one of the better offensive minds. And I know that they had some injury problems. And we found out that Sean Robinson was not a quarterback that was going to get it done for TCU. And then he ended up transferring to Missouri. Um, They tried Michael Collins. That didn't really uh, fit that well. And then um, Mühlhausen, I think is is how you pronounce his name, (laughs) their final quarterback. So um, (laughs) they they send off. Yeah, they were they were scratching and and looking at the bottom of the barrel and hoping that the the bottom would come out. (laughs) And they found the bottom of the barrel. That's for damn sure. Yeah, right. So, uh, um, yeah, you had a team like Navy looking at it there going, geez, these guys suck. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe maybe we can host a camp and they can come watch us pass the ball. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, but I do think that this was an anomaly. I mean, Gary Patterson, we yeah, know that yeah. he is a, a much better coach than this. And, um, you know, little, uh, little spoiler alert here, a little hint. I think that TCU is going to be one of those teams that is going to bounce back next year. And people might be overlooking the Horned Frogs going into 2019, but come early November, they might be a team that if, if they, if they stay away from the injury bug and if the cards shake out the right way and they don't uh, stub themselves in the foot, they could be a team that's still in the hunt for the big 12 chase next season. Right. They didn't lose all of their talent. They didn't lose their coach. I think they'll be in a good spot, but uh, yeah, because of all those factors, they for sure got my disappointment of the season. Yeah. And they were, it was tough between Texas tech and TCU, but I had a feeling you were going to go TCU. So, um, and and again, I I just think that, um, I mean, most people, most Horn Frog fans can say we lost to Kansas, so by default we get the biggest disappointment in the league. <laughs> right. but, um, yeah, <laughs> you know the Red Raiders dropping five in a row when all they needed to do is win one more to go to a bowl. Um, sure, they couldn't do it. So, well, let's get to the players then. Uh, we talk about most outstanding, and so I just want to point out my criteria for this is you know outstanding to me is is players that stand out to where regardless of what team they're on, you're like, wow, this guy has ability. So, you know, sometimes when I'm looking at these outstanding players, Bip, I'm, I'm not necessarily looking at um, the numbers that they put up, but if you, um, you know, if you remove the talent around them, they still stand out to you. So I'm going to start off with one of our favorites, Tylon Smoochie Wallace from Oklahoma uh, State Smoochie. University. Yes, sir. Um, now, I'm going to I'm going to put Kyler Murray in a category by himself because he won the Heisman Trophy. So looking past that, Smoochie had um, 6.6 receptions per game, 114 yards uh, receiving per game, 12 total touchdowns, which, which was in, I think, number two overall in the, the Big 12. Um, he he didn't have as well rounded as an offensive uh, uh position group like they had at um you know West Virginia with Greer and Sills and then um you know with uh, Butler and and with uh Kennedy Brooks um mm-hmm. you know who were complimenting him he kind of did a lot of this on his own they didn't have an outstanding run game i mean they had a a respectable run game in in Stillwater but uh for a freshman to go out there and 
Taylor Cornelius uh, certainly had a, a go-to guy that he could throw the ball up to, and he played bigger than his stature would would show him to be. So I, I I'm going to give my nod for most outstanding offensive player to Tylon Smoochie Wallace from Oklahoma State. Good pick, good pick. I like that one. Um, I, I I couldn't tear myself away from Kyler Kyler Murray like you did. Um, <laughs> so I'll just run through his stats real quick uh, as if we don't already know how outstanding he was. Um, led the country in yards per attempt with 11.6, um, 4,300 passing yards, completed 69% of his passes, 42 touchdowns through the air to only seven interceptions. Additionally, ran for over 1,000 yards while averaging 7.2 yards per carry and adding an additional 12 touchdowns. There were 10 games, playoffs included, in which he threw for over 300 yards and 10 games in which he threw for at least three touchdowns. Ran for a touchdown in nine different games, and he was easily the quarterback you wanted. Uh, the ball in his hands with the game on the line. So, yep. I mean, and, and that's the biggest thing. I think I agree 100%. Right. It, and I would I would agree with you. He had maybe some of the most talent surrounding him in the entire uh, country. But I think if you remove him from the Sooners, he could easily make the plays with his legs and his arm uh, just about anywhere anywhere else in the country. Yeah, and and he really I mean that was a cool story. How there were people who weren't even sure if he was going to play football, and then when he got mm-hmm. in, it was kind of like, well, he's this guy who transferred from Texas A and M. He didn't win the starting job there. Um, he's got to follow Baker Mayfield. I just, you know, he might have a respectable season, but he's probably going to be best to stick it with baseball and look at him now. He's basically putting baseball aside, entering the NFL draft. And there's people talking that he could be, um, within the first five, maybe even the number one overall pick in, in this April's draft. Yeah. And I was along the same, uh, thought process of he didn't push his way through the way that many thought that he would in Texas A&M. And that was a good group of quarterbacks, but not a great group of quarterbacks, a a quarterback, uh, system to where if he was good enough or as good as he was this year, he would have for sure seen the field more than what he did. Mm -hmm. And even when he was on the field at Texas A&M, he didn't perform all that well. And I always have just a little bit of a hesitancy for, um, transfer quarterbacks in the, in the beginning, because usually if you're good enough, you stick with the team that you're with, um, you know, especially in the system that he had with Kevin Sumlin. So really surprised me this year. And, um, man, was he fun to watch Uh quick question? Would you rather have Baker Mayfield last year or Kyler Murray this year, um, running your offense? I think I take Kyler Murray, and the reason for that is the completion percentage. Okay. If he was around about 60% and was more a Michael Vick type to where he can throw the ball a mile and he can run uh, as fast as anyone in the stadium, but was you know hovering around, the, and I don't have Vick stats in front of me, but I thought he was around a 55-60% passer, then I would definitely go with Baker Mayfield, especially in today's game. Yeah. But the fact that Murray can complete uh, 69% of his passes and have as dynamic of uh, playmaking ability with his legs. I got to side with Murray over, uh, over Mayfield, um, despite the experience that, that Mayfield has over, over Murray. But what about you, Chappie? Who do you pick in that scenario? Yeah, it's close. And that's why I asked you first, but um, I, <laughs> I think, I think Murray had, you know, just a, a few more intangibles that I liked. I mean, I like Baker May- Mayfield's moxie, but we saw at times it got him into a little bit of hot water and, and it could mm-hmm. be a little bit of a distraction. Um, I think mm-hmm. his story is the best I've ever heard in college football about how he walked yes. on twice, won the starting mm-hmm. job twice, won a Heisman Trophy, um, came close to a national championship from a guy who really had only one 
offer coming out of high school and mm-hmm. um, decided just to walk on and, and got to his dream school, Oklahoma. So I thought it was a cool story. But yeah, um, if you if you are giving me three seconds to decide, I'm, I'm taking Kyler Murray just because um, I think that he was a little bit more cool under pressure and, and could extend a play. And it wasn't just he was flashy with his feet. He would... Um, maneuver himself to where the the ball is still in play, and he's not making acrobatic plays. He's he's still an efficient quarterback. So yeah, I take Kyler. Right. Sure. Sure. Uh, defensively, who's who's your standout player on defense? Well, I wanted to go with Charles Amenahue from Texas, um, as he was constantly in the backfield, uh, disrupted a lot of opposing passing games. Um, as well as looking pretty decent in the in the run game as well, but had to side with the uh, Big Twelve Player of the Year, David Long from West Virginia. Mm-hmm. One hundred and eight total tackles, seventy nine of those were solo, which was seventh in the country. Also tied for eleventh in the country in tackles for loss with twenty. Added seven sacks, four passes defended, two forced fumbles, and a fumble recovery. More importantly, he was really consistent this year. Seven of his games, he had at least nine tackles. All but one game included a tackle for loss. And all but one game, he recorded at least five solo tackles. So the overall production combined with his consistency uh, was hard not to pick uh, David Long, linebacker from West Virginia. Yeah, and you know what? I'll be honest. I had him written down, and I had all his stats written down. And then I remember watching TCU football, and I thought, wait a minute, there's a guy at defensive end that just seemed to be a stud every time I watched him play. And yep. I looked at his numbers, and I'm going to have to go with Ben Benogu from TCU. Um, I almost got went, went with him as well, Tappy. And, uh, you know... I'll be honest, partly when, when I look at these, I try, I purposely try not to look at who was the, the media and the coaches, uh, players of the year on offense and defense. But even right. when I know, I try and stretch beyond that and say, okay, is this more of a political pick or is this something where somebody deserves it? So David Long certainly had outstanding statistics, but in terms of outstanding, like I said, I, Ben Benogu stands out to me more than anybody else on their team defensively. He had nine sacks, which was third in the Big 12, 18 tackles for loss, which was third. He had 57 tackles, which led all defensive linemen in the conference um, to go along with 10 quarterback hurries, two forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries, um, and a couple of pass breakups. So um, his biggest games came against Texas, Texas Tech, Baylor, and Kansas, where he was really a dominant force on that front. And, you know, in, in Gary Patterson's famed four, two, five defense, you really need a good rush end like uh, Benogu and somebody who can tackle in space. So he's really like your hybrid linebacker, even strong safety mm-hmm. defensive end guy there. So I'm going to give my nod to him partially because, uh, you know, trying not to double dip with David Long, but certainly a great season for number 11 uh, from the Mountaineers. Yeah. And, and I'm like you, I, I, I try to do my research before I uh, take a look at who was the uh, defensive uh, player and offensive players of the year. Um, so I'm picking long. I, I wanted to side away from that just to go away from the norm of who was already right. selected defensive player of the year. And I did have Bonogu on my list as well as one of the guys that definitely was in the, in the talks uh, for me personally, for, most outstanding player. So nice pick, Chappie. I like it. Oh, thanks. Um, well, those guys stood out and and they, you know, made the all-conference teams. But let's take a closer look at some of the guys who maybe were a little bit off the radar and to even the 
the close watching college football fan, they may forget about these guys. So offensively, I'm going to go with Puka Williams from Kansas. So we already mentioned him a little bit. Puka had, as a true freshman, seven yards per carry, 1,125 yards total on the ground this year, seven touchdowns. He averaged 102 per game. Like I said, he was the number two rusher in the Big 12. Um, and keep in mind, that's for an offense that really didn't have much of a passing game. Their offensive line was uh, in the bottom half in terms of talent in the Big 12. And he did a lot of his work because he, of his smaller stature. And when when holes would clog up, he would cut, he would bounce outside, um, kept his feet moving, and he had a quick burst once he got to the second level. So if you didn't get hats on him and if you didn't get swarmed to the football, he's gone. And, and he showed that many times this year. Um, so the fact that he had great numbers for a fledgling team, especially because of the fact that they were behind a lot and most teams conventionally would just throw the ball. You give the ball to number one in the backfield and, and he did wonders. And, and I hope for his sake, you know, uh, the, the issues that he has get sorted out and he does get a second chance if, uh, if the things weren't bad enough um, and he, his, his suspension won't carry into 2019 because that would certainly be a great weapon for Les Miles to have out in Lawrence. Yeah, he almost had uh, 300 yards receiving as well, so kind of a dual threat for the, for the Jayhawks there. Yeah. Um, I went with uh, Marcus Sims from West Virginia, wide receiver. Um, now, mm-hmm. all the attention goes to Sills and Jennings, but uh, Sims missed uh, 700 yards just by one yard this year, uh, finishing with 699, averaged 15.2 yards per catch. So not bad stats for the number three overall option um, for the Mountaineers. Almost went with Chuba Hubbard from Oklahoma State, um, yeah. but he he really kind of burst onto the scene at the end of the year when Justice Hill went down, rushed for 740 yards, averaged six, uh, six yards per carry, uh, had seven touchdowns, three of those against Oklahoma, so the Sooners know him real well, um, also added over 200 yards receiving. So a um, couple guys there that um, I'm not sure if Sims graduates this year or not, but Hubbard for sure will be back to uh, – uh, what I would assume be the starting running back for the the Cowboys next year. Yeah, and um, Sims, um, he he will be back next year. He'll be a senior, so number okay. eight out in uh, Myler Puskin Field in West Virginia. Look for him to light things up as well, um, especially with Austin Kendall coming over from the Sooners. Right. Should be a pretty good quarterback for Neil Brown to get his feet wet with in uh, Big 12 play. Right. So defensively, I want to go with uh, Reggie Walker from Kansas State. Yeah, all right. We agree. (laughs) Uh, Good, good. Now, he wasn't off the radar to start the season because he was, uh, I believe, second team all Big 12 last year. And I think he was on the all freshman uh, Big 12 squad a couple years ago. But tied for seventh in tackles for loss in the conference this year, 12 and a half. Finished fifth in the conference in sacks with seven and a half. This guy didn't even finish an honorable mention all Big 12 somehow leads the conference in force yeah. fumbles and he should be known in the state of Texas as he tallied five and a half of his seven and a half sacks uh, and seven and a half of his 12 and a half tackles for lost against teams hailing from the Lone Star State. So if nothing else, those teams from Texas know the name Reggie Walker, as should everyone else who uh, follows Big 12. Yeah, I I double checked and I was astounded that he was not on even honorable right. mention all Big 12. He finished in the top eight in the three major defensive categories, tackles, sacks, tackles for loss. So as a defensive lineman, you would figure he would at least get an honorable mention, but his name was left off. So I don't know if he, um, 
you know, crossed paths wrong with the Big 12 <laughs> commissioner. And he said, oh, no, we're going to take Mr. Walker off that list. Right. Um, that, yeah, I, I was the same same thing with you. I was frantic hunting and searching because you figure that he would have at least been an honorable mention because, uh, you know, the Big 12 has a decent amount of defensive ends that are highly talented, but left off completely. So that was a, a complete shocker to me. Well, he'll be back next year, so he's got one more season to uh, make amends. And right. if things continue, I know that Chris Kleeman likes to play good defense, the new coach for Kansas State. Mm-hmm. Um, expect Mr. Walker to at least be on honorable mention, maybe even moving up to a first-team All-Big 12 defensive end next year. So good job, Reggie. Uh, what about your coach? Uh, who do you give the the golden whistle to this year for Coach of the Year in the Big 12, Bip? Well, I'm going to steal one of your phrases from earlier today that you almost uh, went into, and I'm going to go down to Waco, Texas for uh, Matt Rule and the Baylor Bears. Um, okay. Now, Baylor is in the midst of their sanctions last year. Baylor? I hardly know her. <laughs> <laughs> they went 1-11, and and they that included losses against Liberty and Texas of San Antonio. Their only win was against 1-11 Kansas, whose only win that year was against Southeast Missouri State. That year, they finished 113th in yards per game defensively and 115th in uh, points per game defensively. Offensively, they were just about as bad. Um, Now, take that to 2018. The Bears won seven games while their best win was over uh, Oklahoma State, which was a Better win than what Oklahoma State's record uh, shows. They also won their bowl game against Vandy and showed massive improvement from 2017, and they carry a lot of momentum into 2019. They only lost by seven against TCU. They lost by six against Texas, and their offense finished 22, uh, 22nd in the country in yards per game. Charlie Brewer looked really impressive, throwing for over 3,000 yards and 19 touchdowns. Now, his completion percentage dropped from 68% last year to 61.5% this year, but he looks to be competing for all Big 12 honors next year. Uh, could have a huge year in his junior season. Uh, Jalen Hurd burst onto the scene, uh, transfer running back from uh, Tennessee, switched yep. positions to wide receiver, led the Bears with 946 receiving yards and four touchdown catches, was a really pleasant surprise for the Bears. Mm-hmm. Baylor had eight players that caught at least 14 passes this year and nine that caught at least one touchdown. So they really spread the ball around in Waco there. So uh, yeah. what what Baylor went through and the downward spiral they appeared to be in, uh, I mean, things could have completely spun out of control. And many people, myself included, thought that maybe Matt Rule made a, uh, a mistake going to Baylor. But what he's done right. this year was remarkable. And if the Bears get to eight or nine wins this year, look for Rule to be amongst the hottest commodities for programs looking for a new coach in 2020. And that's what I'm really curious for is it seems like he's a guy who, I mean, he, he played under Joe Paterno at Penn state. He seems like a guy who really wants to entrench himself into a program and stick there. Now uh, temple was a, a good fit, but you know, obviously most aspiring coaches want to be at that power five uh, <clears throat> program. And so I, I'm almost inclined to think that Matt Rule, if they go and they win seven or eight games this year, they win nine or ten games the next year, I could see him as a guy who says, you know what, I'm going to sign a long-term deal. I'm here. I'm a Baylor man for life. Um, this is where I want to put my roots in, and I want to be known as the guy who brought this program back the right way. I mean, obviously, sure. Art Bryles on the field did a good job, but um, the, the way that his off the field handlings kind of tainted that uh, situation. 
I, I see Matt Rule as a very high character guy, and and I don't see him as somebody who wants to chase the the payday. I mean, he's going to get paid. Waco and Baylor is is a situation where the money's going to be there, especially out in in Central Texas. But yeah, um, and you not know, a bad I, spot to set up camp either for the long term if you're Matt Rule. Um, r- I mean, you, right? You can do worse than Waco. I also wonder not to tra- take this too far into what's happened in the past, but like you mentioned, played under Joe Paterno. You got to wonder if that's something in the back of his mind of having sort of a redemption story at a university to try and take Baylor from the controversy that surrounded the program and take them Mm -hmm. into new heights and new depths uh, coming out of the sanctions that they had um, from the the Art Bryles era. Now, the one asterisk I'll put next to that is if James Franklin decides to go to the NFL eventually, which rumors are that he will probably try that at some point, mm-hmm. and Penn State comes knocking at Mr. Rule's door, will he go back home and and lead his uh, alma mater to uh, glory and sustain glory? Or will, like I said, will he keep his roots down in, in, Baylor te- in uh, Waco, Texas? So Yeah, that's a good thought. Um, and... and I, I almost went with Matt Rule, but uh, I think they won six games, which is nice. They made a bowl, which is nice. They won their bowl game. Um, had he won two more games, I would have given him my clear pick. But I'm going to go with Lincoln Riley, and it seems like a low-hanging fruit pick, but here's my reasoning. He lost mm-hmm. the Heisman Trophy winner in Baker Mayfield. Right. Um, you know, he kind of was – he he was handed that job for lack of – uh, a better explanation, maybe timing, because Bob Stoops really shocked the the college football world right after spring practice and saying, ah, I'm done with it. And so there wasn't a lot of time to put out a big search and you're Oklahoma, you got to get things going. So last year you could have seen as maybe they were still riding the waves of what Bob Stoops had done. This is really his, uh, his real test. And they went out and, uh, you know, they won 12 games, which the one game they lost was by a last second field goal by, Dicker the kicker um, in the Red River rivalry against Texas. Um, But then they rattled off six straight after that, which included the Big 12 championship victory in redemption against Texas out in Arlington. And then even in the college football playoff semifinal, they hung tough with Alabama. I mean, I remember checking that score because I was driving back from a uh, a function and uh, I was like, you got to be kidding me. This Oklahoma's hanging this close with almighty Alabama and they only lost by nine points in that game. And again, Kyler Murray kept a minute. So I think because of that, because of the fact that he handled Kyler's baseball distraction at the beginning of the season, because they avenged their loss to Texas and they made the college football player for the second straight year, um, that's saying something for a young head coach. And, you know, it really makes me feel old when I see a guy in a position like this and I'm like, yeah, I'm older than he is. But, um, <laughs> you know, he, uh, he he really made the most of what he's done and, and he's clearly one of the best offensive minds. But not just that, you know, there was also that distraction of how bad their defense played this year and he just kept the ship running in the right direction didn't panic didn't uh you know make any sort of major ripples i mean they fired uh coach stoops their defensive coordinator um uh and then they they brought in alex grinch this year so we'll see how he does but i think amidst all that uh he showed a lot of cool calm collection and uh really his blood pressure never got too high and i think that's the mark of a really outstanding coach so for for those reasons and because like i said because baylor just won the six games i'm going to give the nod to coach riley yeah and i like that um not only were they the best offense in the country um they 
they seem to keep doing so uh, with injury after injury at running back. Kennedy Brooks comes in this year, averages 8.9 yards per carry, scores 12 touchdowns. I mean, it's not just the passing game that Oklahoma is uh, proficient in. They were the only team in the Big 12 that finished within the top 20 in rush yards per game this year. Um, Mm -hmm. Their average margin of victory was 18.75 points this year. So they weren't just beating opponents. They were just humiliating most of their opponents. Um, so I like that pick and I really like the, the point that you mentioned that you never really see Lincoln Riley get upset or rattled on the sidelines, calm customer. And you know, that he's going to be bringing his offense every game. Yeah. Um, so the big 12 overall, we, uh, where do you rank them VIP out of, out of the power five conferences? I put them squarely at third. And the reason okay. I do that, the the teams at the top were really good this year. Oklahoma, Texas, West Virginia. In fact, I would even put the, those three up against any top three of any other con- uh, conference, SEC included, this past year. Hmm. Where I start to give get a little hesitation and why I didn't put them ahead of the Big Ten is their second tier kind of falls off. Um, or they might not even have a second tier, really. I'd put West Virginia ahead of teams like Penn State, Northwestern, and Iowa from the Big Ten. Yeah. However, because of that, the Big Ten second tier would all be superior to Iowa State, TCU, and Oklahoma. So I'd actually put the second tier of the Big 12 on par with, say, the third tier of the Big Ten with teams like Michigan State, Wisconsin, Purdue, Minnesota. And if I had to put money on uh, those teams going against each other, um, I- I'm going to go with the Big Ten in that in that regard. So put them squarely behind the big 10, but in, in a similar comparison um, with the pac 12, again, I like the, the top tier of the big 12 better than the pac 12 and the, the pac 12 South was just so down this year. And the conference has so many bad teams that I think the disparity between the elite teams in the two conferences um, and the fact that the, the lows in the pac 12 were in my opinion, lower than what the big 12 had to offer. Um, I like the I like slotting in the Big Twelve at third, but Chappie, where where do you go on that? I it was very close between third and fourth. I'm going to put them at fourth, um, really only because you know I agree the uh, the the top teams in there, Oklahoma and Texas, were pretty good. But really, I'm kind of putting an asterisk next to Texas as one of the top teams, and here's why: Texas had, to my count the most close one-score games of any Power 5 conference. You know, you want to guess how many one-score games Texas played this year, Bip? Well, Chappie, I'm going to hit the number on the head because I actually had that in my notes. They okay. had nine one-score games, ten if you count the bowl. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, I had ten, so I did count the bowl, but okay. that's that's astounding. <laughs> so if you look at it, and they, and they went seven and three in those one-score games. So even if you take half of that, you're looking at a Texas team that may have struggled to make a bowl game. Now, I'm not taking anything away from the Longhorns. They were very talented, and to, to quote, uh, one of my favorite coaches, Pat Fitzgerald, stats are for losers. And the only stat that really matters is whether you get in that win column or not. But, you know, Oklahoma, to me, it was Oklahoma and everybody else. Whereas in the Pac-12, Washington State was a player. Um, you had the Washington Huskies were, you know, not as strong as people 
thought that they were, but they were certainly one of the better defenses out there. Utah uh, had a had a pretty good squad this year, so I would put those top three teams against the top three from the the Big Twelve, and it would sure. be competitive. But um, you know, I'm going to go with that. Not to mention um, the Big Twelve this year. Uh, they, you know, they did go three and one against the Pac-12, so that kind of mutes my uh, argument. But they were only zero and two against the ACC, one and three against the Big Ten. They actually went four and three against the SEC, but some of those were to uh, some of the uh, the the quote unquote lower teams of the SEC, not to take anything away from the talent that's there, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I just think top to bottom, I, I think that the Pac-12 to me was a little bit more top heavy. So you know, if you if you want, I can put the Pac-12 at uh, 3A and the Big 12 at 3B because they were that close. Sure. But I'm going to put them in at number four. Yeah, and to go back to Texas real quick, they did have the 10 one-score games. But that said, I I like to take it a little bit further than just um, seeing whether the the game was was within one score because you have those games that the team could be up most of the game and then you get a garbage touchdown from the opposing team. So that said, Texas won... Texas only won two of their games within uh, the last couple minutes of the game. Well, um, they they only lost uh, you know one of those. So um, okay. the, the fact that they had um, so few of games that were won within the last couple of minutes that made me feel a little better about their their ten one score games. But to your point, they did. Um, it's not as if they were like an Oklahoma or an Ohio State to where they just blew out teams uh, game in and game out this year. I think what keeps me from putting the Pac-12 ahead is if I'm putting up the the lower tier, the lower half of the Big 12 against teams like Colorado, UCLA, Arizona, and Oregon State this year, I feel a yeah. lot more comfortable this year anyways uh, with oh, the yeah. Big 12 compared to the Pac-12. Yeah, and, and I... I guess if you if you look at it, uh, you you kind of got to wipe away the bottom two or three from both conferences right. because I'm not going to put my money on Oregon State or Colorado <laughs> um, against anybody this year. Nor am right. I going to put my money on Kansas, uh, you know, sure. against anybody this year either. And and the way that Texas Tech played at the end of the year, that was a little bit sour. But still, I, um, you know, it's it's a good argument. That's a fair point there, Bip. Um, some of the top games, we're going to kind of run through this quickly, and I think that we're probably going to have the same three because these were some of the same games that I saw after I picked them. I saw them on many other sites as well. Sure. Um, so we'll, we'll kind of go back and forth. I'm going to start. My top game this year was West Virginia against Texas, where the Mountaineers won by a point, 42 to 41. And again, that was one of those 10 one score games that Texas played and they lost this one, but mm-hmm. it came down to a two point conversion. And most people are familiar with uh, the, the line that Dana Hogerson mouthed in the timeout when they scored their touchdown at the end, he said, you want to go for the win? Let's go win the game. So, or you want to win the game? Let's go win the game. And so they called up a two point play uh, actually had uh, the first one kind of called back. I can't remember if somebody called a timeout or if there was a penalty, but ultimately Will Greer, uh, ran in for a two-point conversion to put him up by a point, and they held on for the victory that day. Um, and it was really kind of just a back and forth. There were six lead changes. West Virginia tied the game with six minutes left, only to have Texas take a uh, lead on a 48-yard touchdown pass from Sam Ellinger to Devin Duvernay. And um, after the game, they asked Dana Holgerson, why did you uh, why did you decide to go for two? And he 
turned and pointed to Greer and said, look at the guy. I got a winner. Uh, if you've got a winner, you're going to go for the win. And that's what I did. And obviously it turned out to be a, a good choice for him. So um, what was one of your top games, Bip? Well, I'm going to go with uh, Oklahoma at West Virginia, a game in which the Sooners won 59-56. Now, some people are turned off by games like this because there's a lack of defense, and trust me, there were plenty of uh, plays that you can turn back to it and reference that, but not me. I love the back and forth. I love the offensive Mm -hmm. fireworks. Teams combined for over 1,300 yards of total offense. They traded punches throughout the game uh for just about the entire time oklahoma kind of took over in the fourth quarter but up until then it was a back and forth back and forth affair seven touchdowns came on plays of 40 yards or greater including a defensive touchdown by uh, curtis bolton from the sooners will greer through throw for or threw for 539 yards four touchdowns um and then what a a uh, couple of games by Gary Jennings and Hollywood Brown as they yeah. each went for at least 225 and two scores um offensive fireworks that you expect from these two teams and man did they deliver yeah they did and um yeah it's uh that was that was one that i had circled but i i just couldn't put it in into my top 3 but um, yeah, I, and I agree with you. Having been a former defensive coach and defensive coordinator <laughs> at the high school level, I when I'm coaching, I love seeing my defense play well. It's a masterpiece, and mm-hmm. you just feel it's it's choreographed so well. But as a football fan, ugh, uh, I mean, just look at the Super Bowl. That was a god awful boring game, and nobody <laughs> likes to see the six to three slugfest between two defenses, or more appropriately, two offenses that are too afraid to take a chance. So yeah. I, I for one, I for one love seeing those those barn burning shootouts, especially in the Big Twelve, where you're trading off sixty to seventy points uh, a piece. Right, and I had a feeling that the defensive coach and you might have left that off your top three just for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I'm going to side with the offense when I'm a college okay. football okay. fan. There, Bip. Um, so speaking of which, uh, my number two was the Red River rivalry game. Number one, um, Texas beat Oklahoma 48-45 back in uh, early October. So Texas came in at number 19 in the country at the time. Oklahoma was number seven. They played out in the Cotton Bowl, as they always do. Sam Ellinger had five touchdowns, three on the ground, two through the air. He went toe-to-toe with Kyler Murray, who uh, Murray probably had his lowest performance or his most disappointing performance of the season. He had two turnovers, and it was evident in the post-game press conference. He was really not much for words, and you could tell he had uh, revenge on his mind coming later in the season. So Texas actually had a 21-point lead in the third quarter. They were up 45-24, but Murray led three unanswered touchdown drives that spanned a total of six minutes, 10 total plays, to score 21 points. Um, but then it was all for, uh, an ending that the Sooners didn't want to see as Michael, or I'm sorry, as Cameron Dicker came out and kicked a 40 yard game winner. Uh, he also made a 44 yarder earlier in the game. So similar to what you just mentioned with Oklahoma and West Virginia, wide receivers were on display. Um, little Jordan Humphrey had 133 yards receiving and a touchdown. Colin Johnson also had a pretty big game at, uh, 90 some yards receiving. I don't have that stat in front of me, but Hollywood Brown, 131 yards, uh, through the air two touchdowns and cd lamb also came up big in that game too so you're talking those four receivers there tallied up almost 400 yards receiving just between the four of them so uh that was my number two game bit yeah and that was my number three um and perhaps the biggest difference in the game as you kind of mentioned already was the turnovers texas had zero oklahoma had three but the their last one was on their their last ditch effort to try and uh come back after that um field goal by dicker the kicker um but 
of the turnovers of the other two turnovers, um, they led to a field goal and a touchdown from Texas. So not only the turnovers uh, getting the ball out of Kyler Murray's hands, but leading to points on the board for Texas. So big difference in that game. Yeah. Um, and um, I went to my third game was the Bedlam game. And I always love watching this this series every year. Mm-hmm. So Oklahoma got the better of the uh, Cowboys in this game, 48-47. And you kind of already alluded to it. Oklahoma State went for two at the end, which I think was a good call, a good decision. At that point, you don't want to get in another in an overtime shootout with Kyler Murray. You want right. to try and end it, especially when you've just scored. So a 24-yard touchdown to our favorite Tylon Smoochie Wallace <laughs> with a minute left. And the two-point call, I think it was a good call, but it was bad execution by Taylor Cornelius, who actually had a really good season. He was almost my pick for the off-the-radar player that not mm-hmm. a lot of people were talking about. Um, I really enjoyed watching him play this year. I, I'm, I'm kind of selfishly unhappy to see that he is not coming back next year. He's, he's graduating, but um, he made a bad throw on a rollout pass to his right, which ended up low and incomplete. And um, then of course they kicked the onside kick, didn't recover and Oklahoma ran out the clock, but over 1300 yards in total offense in this game. And the, it really should have been even a chance where Oklahoma state could have won the game, but they missed a an extra point earlier in the fourth quarter to put them down 40 to 41 um, to then later set up that scenario where they would have to go for two to try for the win. Whereas before an extra point in that same situation would have taken the lead a lot easier. So that was my, my third game uh, of importance in the big 12 this year, but yeah. And as you mentioned, Cornelius threw for over 500 yards in this game, Kennedy Brooks averaged right. over 11 yards per carry scored three touchdowns. So once again, one of those uh, Big 12 games where you have huge performances by uh, several individuals on both teams. A really fun game to watch. And I don't blame uh, Gundy for going for two at the end there. But like you said, just poor execution. Yeah. Um, and, and it certainly doesn't surprise most people that Gundy was uh, rolling <laughs> the dice and, and going to go for it at that point. Because I think also... Um, at that point in the season, Oklahoma state was really fighting for, uh, you know, bowl season, uh, positioning there. Cause they right. had West Virginia at home the following week. That was going to be a tough one for them. And then they had to travel to TCU. So, uh, they lost Oklahoma. They did come back and, and have a, a big win against the Mountaineers at home the following week, which really secured the bowl, uh, season for them. So, yep. um, entertaining games nonetheless. So the big 12, even though it's named the Big 12, they've got 10 teams. And so one last thing that Bip and I want to kind of give you our thoughts of here is expansion. And it's been on the minds of, of college football fans really ever, you know, in this last decade. So, Bip, uh, I think that they should go to at least 12 teams. So yep. give me the two teams that, if you were the Big 12 commissioner, would make the most sense and the best fit realistically to, to add to your conference to maybe – increase the prestige of the big 12 well um i'm gonna go with nebraska and boise state now neither adds a big market which hurts the bottom line of the conference however from a uh, football perspective these teams make perfect sense now you need to get nebraska back to their big 12 rivalries of old and geographically it's just a fit having scott frost in place you get the nebraska uh you get nebraska back for a potential renaissance of the program uh both football teams are the 
only thing that go on for each respective state. So the smaller markets that they bring are all fantasy or uh, football fan bases. So the uh, the lack of a, a huge market may not be that big of an issue because you have viewers all over the place. Um, and as I mentioned, geographically, they don't. Um, Nebraska is kind of there. Boise State doesn't make as much sense as, say, UTEP, North Texas, SMU, or Houston. But the year-in, year-out football product since 2000 is much higher than those schools just mentioned. So I think that you add two more very competitive football programs. You get it to an actual Big 12 again. You renew the rivalries with um, that Nebraska used to have within the conference. And I think that it would be a, a really fun to watch Boise State um, get tested in an actual conference that's uh, a little more challenging than the Mountain West and see how they how they uh, perform. So let me ask you, would you bring them in in football only, or do you think that that would be a move where they would try and get uh, other sports to join the Big 12 as, as full affiliates as well? Come on, Chappie, this is a football podcast. I don't care about the other sports. <laughs> All right, yeah, <laughs> no, I, that's true. <laughs> I, I, I see your point there, and it's a valid one because to my knowledge, I don't think that Boise or Nebraska are very good at uh, too many other sports. So that sure. could be a challenge. So I appreciate you bringing that up since we are playing the role of uh, uh, conference commissioner. Um, <laughs> that said, um, if we're looking from a strictly football profession and knowing that football rules the world and athletics, mm-hmm. I think that we can overlook the uh, the potential lack of a fit in the other uh, sports, both men and women. Hey, we matter too. <laughs> um, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you mine, and one is more of a, a fantasy than anything else because it doesn't look like it's gonna happen anytime soon. But I'm gonna make the pitch to bring Texas A&M back to the other Texas okay. schools. So the reason that they left was to get more money and exposure, which they get in the SEC. But they're still more playing. Money. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, they're still playing in the toughest division in college football. So is it really worth it to? go up against Alabama every year and LSU every year and uh, Auburn every year. And then when they're good, Ole Miss. And when they're, you know, in a renaissance, Arkansas, I mean, that's, that's a tough slate. So if you're looking for publicity, notoriety, if you're looking for championships, which really is what most people are uh, most concerned with, um, come back to the big 12 and, and they shouldn't be afraid of the Longhorn network because the big 12 is um, I can't remember if they, if they've got a, a network coming up in place soon or not, but you know, it's, it's going to happen. Um, what is the Longhorn network really done other than bring in money? I mean, Texas hasn't right. won a conference championship since getting that network. In fact, they finished sixth, three times out of 10 teams, fifth, fourth and second place twice. So they've never won a conference championship and they've only finished as high as second two times. So they've actually finished um, in other places outside the top two more often than not. So Mm -hmm. if if A&M's in it just to make money, then they made the right choice by going to the SEC. But if you want an opportunity to grow your brand, to get back to a tradition of championships, which will then help recruiting, the Big 12 is the way to go. And let's face it, it's Texas. There's going to be money there. You don't have to go to the... uh, the the money well at in the sec just to get the revenue it's going to come in especially where football is everything in aggie land um plus your addition to the big 12 and making the move there would be mutually beneficial the big 12 would certainly benefactor from uh or benefit i should say from a&m making the move over there but if a&m's off the table i'm going to give you houston and smu so these seem like likely fits because they were former southwest conference members but 
Houston, you're not going to, you're not ever going to be taken seriously by playing in the AAC. You've got one no. of the best backyards for recruiting in the Houston market as well to help you. Um, joining the Big 12 will likely bring a TV network to you eventually, and traditional rivalries are there. I mean, you've got all those old rivalries against Baylor, Texas, um, the all the old Southwest Conference games. Um, and it could certainly help you in recruiting because now you're going to compete against the TCUs, the Texas Techs, the Baylors, et cetera. So I think Houston's a good fit. Um, and then the other one is SMU. So again, joining their old Southwest Conference brethren, uh, they've got more money than people might think. They've currently bring in the second highest revenue in the American Athletic Conference. They've got the Dallas market that's there. They've got the rivalry with TCU anyway, as well as with Baylor. They've been pretty good in the state in the uh, sport of basketball. Uh, if we're looking for whole scale moves, but again, if it's, even if this is just a football only addition, I think that it now puts you at twelve teams. And I went a little step further, Bip. Here's how the league would be split up in the South. The Big 12 South, you would have all five Texas teams. So, um, I'm sorry, all six Texas teams, Texas, Texas Tech, Baylor, TCU, and SMU, or Texas A&M if they join. And then in the North, you'd have Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, and you'd still have your crossovers of the traditional rivalry. So Texas would still play Oklahoma, and there'd also be the opportunity for them to play again in the Big 12 championship should they win their respective divisions. So that's my pitch. That's my argument for Big 12 expansion. No, I like that. And I, I don't know why Houston hasn't joined the Big 12 yet. SMU, I can kind of understand there might be some hesitation from the conference itself wanting to accept a team that has been kind of uh, a lowly football program ever since the right. death penalty. Uh, yeah. But I, I just don't know why Houston hasn't joined the Big 12, regardless of whether it makes it an odd number of teams or whatever. Conferences have had odd numbers of teams in the past. I don't think it really does much. And even if you only add one team, you could still play, uh, do what they do right now, where they play every single team in the conference, and then you just have two non-conference games uh, or three, however the the – the math works out. I right. believe believe it would be two uh two two nine conference. But uh, you know, I'm not sure what the holdup is. It seems like Houston would be a perfect fit. So I'm not sure whether it's the conference or the school that's uh the holdup, but something needs to happen to get them in there. Right, right. And that's something that would be worth taking a deeper dive into because I had that same question of um, you know, again, kind of the chicken egg thing. Is it the Big Twelve that's backing off or is it Houston that's kind of getting uh, a little bit bigger than its britches and saying, well, we're going to hold out maybe for something else, um, which, again, uh, this is a is a very good stepping stone for you. And, you know, speaking of stepping stones, I mean, we've seen some pretty um, coaches, pretty good coaches on the rise who have made their stop in Houston. And now mm -hmm. that you've got Daniel Holgerson there, yeah. it would make even more sense because now he's going back to play his West Virginia Mountaineers and he's got familiarity with the conference. So mm -hmm. um, I don't know how the logistics would all work out, but if that can get done in the next five years, it seems like that would be a, uh, a pretty reasonable fit. But I do like your, your take on Nebraska. I, I don't like Nebraska in the Big Ten. They just don't seem like a natural fit. I mean, they've right. got the rivalry with Iowa, but you we grew up watching Nebraska, Oklahoma, Nebraska, yes. Colorado. So Colorado is another team that you can make yeah, a that's, pitch for. That, that's a good pick. That, uh, that they could go back. So if the Big 12 really wants to um, shock the college football world and, and really take a swing at the other Power 5 schools uh, or the Power 5 conferences, try and get Colorado back in from the Pac-12, maybe even bring Utah over from the Pac-12. That might be um, mm -hmm. some addition uh, that would, would really help the conference. Yeah. So uh, 
Well, that's that's it. That's uh, that's going to be us for tonight. Uh, good Big Twelve talk. And Bip, I don't know about you, but there's so much more that I had on my list that we could have talked about. But we're a little bit over an hour now, and and I don't want to uh, take too much more time from from everybody's schedule. So we're gonna put a stake in it there and 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 call it a night. But um, we want to thank all of you for listening, especially those of you who are back again and, and not giving into the frosty football off season. So we strongly encourage that you continue to listen, subscribe if you can. Um, it's real easy. And, and the nice thing is by subscribing, it's delivered right to you. So you don't have to go and look for it ever again. And I know most of you already know that, but, um, it's, it's going to be something that's going to benefit both uh, both parties here. So on our next episode, Bip and I are going to go out west, my son, to the Pac-12 conference and get back into a conference whose number of teams actually matches their conference name, not like the Big Ten or the Big 12. So <laughs> many thanks for listening to A Bowl Full of Chips. I am Chappie. I am Bip. And remember, biggest isn't always best. So thanks for choosing the right over the rest. Bye-bye, Big 12. See ya.